When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. Development camp underway for the Edmonton Oilers. Eighth overall pick, Philip Broberg on the ice this afternoon and his skating living up to the billing. More on him as we move along tonight. You'll also hear a little bit about a couple of young men the Oilers drafted last summer, Evan Bouchard and Ryan McLeod. The Edmonton Eskimos back at practice today, getting ready to go to Winnipeg on Thursday. We have that game for you. Five o'clock for the countdown to kick off the game at 6.30. Bombers 1-0 coming off of by the Eskimos 2-0 coming off that win over Mike Riley and the BC Lions on Friday. The Eskimos uh, defense getting after Riley not always cleanly, but they did wind up with seven sacks and the offense coming to life after a slow start. C.J. Gable looks very good. Trevor Harris is sharp. The offensive line doing its job. A lot of good things for the Eskimos so far. Yes, I know still early, but 2-0 is 2-0. Blake Dermott will hop on the show to break it down between 6.30 and and seven, and she wins again. She retains her WBA and WBC featherweight belts. Jelena Mergenovich, her 51st career bout at the uh, Edmonton Convention Center on Saturday night. She is going to join us to uh, break down that and uh, let us know what is coming up next for her. What did you think of the Oilers draft picks? What did you think of the Eskimos game? Uh, you can chime in tonight by texting 630-630 and our open line uh, number is 780-496-0063. Feel free to hop on if you would like. My name is Reed Wilkins, Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio 630. Ched, Kellen Kennedy is on the other side of the window. He's our studio operator. Kellen, good to see you, buddy. It's good to see you, Reed. How uh, was your trip to Vancouver? Uh, very good. Uh, great work on uh, Friday. Obviously, uh, you helped us transition from the uh, draft to the uh, football game. We didn't know exactly mm-hmm. when the Oilers were going to pick. They wanted to pick and right before uh, kickoff, so that was uh, so that was uh, pretty cool. We will chat uh, a little bit more as we move along tonight. So, uh, Philip Broberg is the guy for the Oilers. Oh, and somebody just texted in about the uh, Women's World Cup game, and I, I will talk about that later on today, later on tonight. Uh, Philip Broberg is the guy for the Oilers, eighth overall, very interesting player. There is no doubt. There is no doubt he can skate. If you've seen him play, and he played here at Edmonton last summer at the Holinka Gretzky Cup. There is no doubt he can skate. Uh, he was a little bit all over the place in the rankings. I mean, I think a legitimate first-round pick. I, I saw him as high as seven. I saw him as low as in the twenties. He was the best defenseman at the U18 tournament. Now, that's not always a best-on-best because you have some players still playing in the uh, Canadian Hockey League playoffs. But Ken Holland on Broberg. Well, I like that he's uh, talented. I like that he's, uh, you know, six foot three. I like that he can skate. Um, he can move the puck. He can transport the puck. 
So, you know, transporting the puck, moving the puck, seen as his strengths. And look, this young man is probably a couple of years at least from being in the National Hockey League. And I think the Oilers have to be patient with their prospects. And I think they will be with Broberg. I think they have some other, well, I know they have some other defensemen who are closer to playing. One thing I've already noticed about Ken Holland in my brief dealings with him since he became general manager of the Edmonton Oilers comes across as uh, very genuine, doesn't blow smoke on you. And uh, if if he doesn't know something, he'll he'll tell you he doesn't know. I I asked him Friday night after the draft, and I know some people were giving me a hard time about this, but I, but I said you know the people who have criticized Broberg has said have said his hockey IQ you know ne- needs some work or, or isn't where it should be. Do you think that's legitimate? Very simple answer from Holland. Uh, I, could be. I'm not sure. Do you people will... <laughs> so? So there it is. Could be. Uh, I'm not sure. Well, I guess we're still going to find out. But when Holland was answering another question, uh, he, he kind of circled back to that about criticisms of Broberg's hockey IQ. And then this was a lot more detailed response. You know, the hockey IQ that you're talking about, if you have uh, anybody that goes 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, if they had uh, IQ through the roof, they probably don't go 7, 8, 9. There. There's a reason, you know, the, 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 the draft. But certainly there, there's lots of good players in the NHL that have got, uh, you know, average hockey sense or great hockey sense. We're going to find out. You don't really know. You know, I find that, you know, the people that, don't go out and watch the games seem to have all the answers today you know the the, the, the scouts who knows who knows who's right you don't know they're 18 years of age and we're going to find out over the next number of years how good all these players are today we're excited to get a six foot three puck moving puck transporting defenseman all right, so Hall and there are focusing on the strengths of Broberg. Six foot three, he's got size, he's a puck transporting defenseman. That is certainly going to help in this day and age in the National Hockey League. And, and I mean, I, I, he did make a good point. If, if he were the most brilliant playmaker, ice vision type player in the world, he, he'd be going even higher than, than where he did. The Oilers liked him there. Some scouts didn't, some scouts did. Uh, I, I know, I, I think out of the players were, who were available, the, the one that maybe the players uh, the Oilers could have grabbed was Trevor Zegris out of the U.S. National Team Development Program. Uh, he's a left-shot center, 6 feet, 170, so needs to put some meat on his frame, which I'm sure he will. He had nine points in five games at the Under-18 tournament, part of this really good uh, American Development Team Program. He's committed to Boston University, and he's seen as an excellent passer, so that would have been a forward depth. But Holland said, uh, he, he said, I know there were a lot of good forwards out there, but here's why we preferred picking a defenseman. I think if you're going to have a good team in the National Hockey League, you have to have a good defense. Um, you know, those teams that go for long playoff runs have good defense, deep defense, big defense, and we're going to build a good, deep, big defense. All right, so there's his plan. Uh, they all have a plan. Will it work? But that's why they lean toward the blue liner at that spot. Seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. We have, uh, ooh, let me do this again. Hang on, Jim. Sorry, Jim. I'm I'm uh, I'm a bit of a disaster running the studio today. Yeah, Thanks for calling. Go ahead. You're, you're just a rookie. That's all, man. That's all you'll ever be. That's it. Hey, uh, I'm not surprised that Piarvi didn't get traded, and, and this idea that he's going to play in Europe is going to do but nothing but hurt him. So his best, I would think, best for him to show up at camp and, and put his best forward uh, foot forward, and and maybe things work out for him. But I do blame 50% on him, and I do blame 50% on manager because first player that uh, was 
uh, in the first round and has been a disaster. Well, yeah, I talked about that a lot last week. Uh, I, I, I mean, I do think it goes it, it goes both ways. I, I didn't think Pugliarvi should have been in the NHL as much as he was as a rookie. I mean, I understand maybe you want to give him a taste of a few games. But if he's spending more time in leagues that are more appropriate to his uh, ability level at that time and he's not coming along then I think you look and say, all right, what, this player's not doing it. What, what's happening? But he was bounced around so much. He had different coaches. You know, he was in the AHL. He was in the NHL. He wasn't playing a lot. He clearly never had the trust of neither McClellan nor Hitchcock. I mean, nope. Hitchcock said, I want to call him up and play him in the NHL. And in a lot of games, Hitch used him less than Todd was. So, right. you know, there, there, there wasn't the, the trust there. But I'm, I'm not surprised he wasn't traded. Hall, you know, watch him. You, you probably heard the clips Holland gave last week. Holland's perfectly fine with him going and playing in Europe. I guess if, he's, if Holland figures if he's not on the roster, he's not on the roster. It doesn't matter if I trade him or not. Yeah. Uh, Coach uh, Hitchcock, he's in player development, is he? Well, he's sort of doing an advisory type role now. Okay, so he's got another three years. I think, I mean... He has like, another two years, yeah. Another two. I like, I like him, so I'm, I'm glad he's with the orders. I'm sure with his, his mind, they'll pick it quite a bit. He's, uh, he's very good at what he does. All right, well, listen, try to get your call straight and have a good day. All right, thanks a lot, Jim. That is Jim, 7804. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. 496-0063. It is 614. We're off and running inside sports on 630 Chet. The Edmonton Prospects played an afternoon game today at Remax Field, falling 3-2 to the Lethbridge Bulls. Blue Jays leading the Yankees 2-0. That game is in the fourth inning. Dan texting 630-630. He says, I like Philip Broberg, 6'3", a great skater. Skating is everything in the NHL. As for the Eskimos, I believe they played the two worst teams in the league. If they keep taking penalties at this rate, uh, we will see how good they are. Jason Moss says he's going to do something about the discipline for the last three years, and I've yet to see it happen. Discipline was lacking last year, probably the main reason the Eskimos missed the playoffs. Well, I, I, we'll talk about the penalties with Blake, Dan. I mean, obviously, they have, uh, they've, there's been too many. I mean, they, uh, teams, uh, the, the majority of BC's and Montreal's scoring drives in the first two games were penalty aided. So you, you got to cut down on them. As for BC and Montreal being the two worst teams in the league, I think you got to put Toronto as the worst team in the league right now. I mean, they, I know they've only played one game, but they lost by 50 points. So I think you'd have to put Toronto as the worst team in the league. You know, it's funny coming into this season, and uh, I don't know if you guys ever look at that uh, blog, Three Down Nation, that, that covers the CFL. Some really good writers there. The majority of the people picking the preseason, sta- the standings for the season, had the Eskimos last. So, you know, I guess if you go by what a lot of people thought the Eskimos would be, they're doing pretty well. 
I didn't. I put the Eskimos third in the West behind Winnipeg and Calgary and ahead of BC and Saskatchewan. Uh, I, I didn't think BC would be as good as the preseason hype. And as I talked about a bit on the show last week, Saskatchewan, the Saskatchewan's biggest loss was losing Chris Jones because I think that changes the whole dynamic and, uh, and attitude of that team. Long way to go for the Eskimos. And, and you know what? If they did beat the two worst teams in the league, then good. You should beat them because if you're losing to the worst teams in the league, that ain't good. 780-496-0063. Sirius Gord is on the line. Hey, Gord, how you been? Good, man. Beautiful night. Just out shooting some golfers here. Um, what? Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking at about 10 right now, actually. Just as soon as I get off the line, they will be deceased. So. No, do they, do they invade <laughs> your yard or what? Uh, my in-laws have uh, pasture out here, so we go out and eradicate it. Uh, between twelve and fifteen hundred a year, we go out and get. So. Oh wow! Okay, well, be humane. <laughs> <laughs> the, the gun I'm using, it's humane. Trust me. Okay, good. <laughs> There's no wounding. Um, so, my own, a couple of things. Yeah. A, a bigger general comment is, from my perspective, I think that the draft clearly overbought on the Americans. I think there were some real values had in the European ranks. Uh, as the draft moved on, I don't understand why people put so much scouts put so much focus on Halinka and the U.S. teams, where you've got you know you know uh, all-star game kind of uh, rosters. Um, as for uh, Mr. Holland's picks, uh, he there was no I have not seen one scout who picked him at eight or above. I don't know if you saw the highest I saw was nine, Reed, and most of them had him. Probably the consensus would be around fifteen, sixteen. I thought. Well, I so, thought Button put him at, at to the Oilers in his mock draft, but that's also what he thinks was going. No, that that's fair. I talked about it last week that I thought Broberg. I think it's a a, a bit of a risk reward pick here, Gord. Sure, but but I mean, there's the, you, you, we we have this ongoing debate about do you pick the best player available or you pick based on position. Clearly. Mr. Holland believes in the in the position uh, motive as opposed to best player available. He was not the best player available, certainly from a consensus standpoint. What disturbs me is that everybody in the rink knew it, that that was what he was picking. Apparently, correct me if I'm wrong, he's been saying this for over a month now, that's who he was going to pick. Um, and that disturbs me greatly, actually, because that's not how you go into a draft. Um, I would love to have seen him if the consensus was he was a 15. Why not make an effort to trade down to uh, to pick up another pick and still get the player you want? So that was a little disturbing. Um, the rest of the picks, I mean, it's, you know how it is, man. It's such a crapshoot. You have no idea yeah, I know. what these guys are going to turn out to. The only other thing I would say is it looks like he was picked based on his performance at the Holinka tournament. Um, and he scored as many points in that one tournament than almost what he scored the entire season in Sweden. Um, this guy, I don't know where they're getting the idea that he's some kind of offensive force. I don't see it, certainly not in the numbers. Uh, and, the, and the highlights everybody's touting, well, yeah, so he skates wide around a bunch of guys in the tournament who don't want to hit him or don't want to get hurt or whatever and aren't being coached to keep their gap controls. So, yeah, the, I just don't see the relevance of these, scouting, these scouts at the tournaments. And I guess we're going to see the results who's right on that down the road. But yeah, I think um, you know what it's it's all. I think it's all fair on Broberg, and, and, and like he he's fast. I, I don't think that's 
Yeah, he skates quick. He skates deal. incredibly well. So I think that's what they're. Russ I, I think. He skate fast too and couldn't put a puck in a Wait, barn who's that? door. Russ Cortnell. Oh. <laughs> skate like the wind, but he couldn't score on a friggin' bale of hay. Now, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, it, it, it's all fair. And the further down the draft you go, even by the time you get to 8, 9, 10, 11, oh, 12, yeah. the, the less you know. And I think you make an interesting comment about the American players. Um, you know, obviously a really good team. They played a lot of games in the USHL. I, yeah. I said to somebody on the weekend, uh, I said, when you look at the U- USHL, would you say some of the top teams could probably compete in Major Junior and some of the other teams might be good teams in Alberta Junior B? And this person said, yeah, that's probably fair. Right? Yeah. So, so and, and somebody also told me that some of the games when the U.S. team was really pushed and really checked, they, they couldn't adapt. So you're right. Maybe Zegris isn't isn't that good. Maybe Cole Caulfield scored on yeah. bigger goalies. I mean, I was that's to, fair. I was, yeah, I was saying to my son, I mean, you know, if I was Holland, I'd have traded and tried to get a bunch of picks down in the, in the second and third round and just grab a bunch of European guys. And it's as much of a crapshoot as anything else And uh, once you get past, like, 50 or 60, don't you think? I mean, the, the odds of a third rounder actually making and playing meaningful minutes in the NHL is pretty bloody small, right? Um, and it's getting even worse now with analytics and scouting, presumably getting better as, they, as years go by. The best ones, we know who the best ones are. It's just a matter of, you know, who's fifth and who's sixth kind of thing. All right. So, thanks, buddy. All right. See you, Gord. Yeah, bye. And uh, I got about a minute here for Mike. Mike, go ahead. Reed, how's it going? Good. Go ahead. Hey, uh, just want to talk a little bit about the uh, Broberg pick. First of all, Sirius Gord, how would he know what you do in an NHL draft? I've never heard of him being an NHL GM before in his life, so he wouldn't know what to do um, going into the draft. But uh, you know what? Broberg's not a bad pick. Uh, You know, um, Detroit picks a, a German player higher up and nobody says anything about it that was way uh, off the board mike way off so i mean uh yeah you know what that's that's the kind of guys that uh we have running the organization right now with with uh, broberg and obviously uh stevie y built a pretty good team in uh in detroit or in uh tampa bay and uh you know what he learned from from kenny holland so why not like an off the board pick even if it's off the board at eight for broberg Hey, good pick. Let's see how he turns out. Went with a consensus top five with uh, Pugliarvi, and uh, so far, you know what? We've kind of been handcuffed with that one. So good good on Kenny, and let's uh, let's show a little trust. And Gord, you know what? Pretty easy to be an armchair GM, buddy. Uh, just uh, stick to whatever you do for a real living. So, <laughs> All right. Thanks, Mike. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah. All right, a little more on the draft, and Blake Dermott will break down the Eskimos 2-0 start. All right, good to have you tuning in tonight. Some text to 6.30, in the uh, wake of the Oilers uh, draft and the phone call from Sirius Gord. This uh, texter says, the difference between 
old and new Oilers regime is that even though they currently need a forward, they saw Broberg as the best player available and took him. Old Oilers regimes would have selected a winger for a 2019 need, rushed him into the league this year, and ran into the same problems as before. Brad says, Reed, could you point out to Gort that Philip was a 17-year-old playing against men last season, and when he played against the U.S. All-Star team, he shut down all those stars and was named best defenseman in the tournament. Uh, this texter says drafting kids is like forecasting the weather. Sometimes you win and sometimes you get Yakupov. Broberg at Oilers development camp that uh, started today. I'll have a little bit more on that, uh, not just today, but as we move along throughout the week. And uh, John texting in with a football theme. He says, read the boogeyman now sleeps with the lights on because he heard the Eskimos' defense is coming for him. Harris is going to throw, releases quickly. Touchdown, Eskimos! His first in green and gold, and the Eskimos will take the lead. There's the snap to Harris. He sits in the pocket, going deep. He's got Ellingson. There it is at the 10. Touchdown, Eskimos. Greg Ellingson has a pair, and the Eskimos increase their lead. Eskimos again loaded it up. It looks like they're coming hard at Mike Riley. Vontae Diggs, linebacker, right on the line of scrimmage, ready to roll. Here he comes. He's got a direct path to Riley who has to duck him. Riley then goes down again at the 20-yard line. Riley takes the snap. He's in trouble. Flags fly and whistles blow. Down he goes again. Seven sacks in the football game Unbelievable. And the Eskimos, after a slow start, beat the Lions 39-23 on Friday night. The Eskimos with seven sacks in that game. They have nine sacks on the season. They have not given up a sack. Uh, a, a lot of discussion, and, and fairly so, about, about the defense, about the penalties. <laughs> and we'll talk about those with Blake Dermott. But I want to give these guys some credit. Tommy Draheim, Jacob Ruby, David Beard, Matt O'Donnell, and Colin Kelly. That is the Eskimos' offensive line. They have not allowed a sack, and they have helped the Eskimos compile 276 yards rushing two games into the season. So we'll start there with former Eskimos offensive lineman, now our analyst here on 630 Shed, the one and only Blake Dermott. Blake, good to talk to you again, buddy. How's it going? Uh, it's good, Reed. Uh, glad to be on. And uh, I, I, I got to point it out, and we're going to get to all that other stuff I, I talked about, but C.J. Gable looks great. The O-line is keeping Harris upright, and uh, they're getting yards for Gable. And, and Blake, you'll have a more technical look at this as me, but I, I'm watching the games, and it, it seems to me they're, they got a pretty basic running game. It's, it's Gable <laughs> going up the middle, and, and he keeps churning out yards, even if it seems like the defense knows what's coming along the ground. Yeah, no, they, they're running a, a really a simple zone-blocking uh, type of a play where, you know, they're, they're blocking areas and double-teaming guys, and, and quarterbacks are responsible for men, you know, by by bootlegging. And, and, and you know, they're, the, uh, they're allowing C.J. Gable. It's uh, When I first started, it was kind of called a search play, so the running back is searching for openings. And every time he gets the ball... Uh, there are opportunities in three different areas where he can he can you know pick and choose what he wants based on how the offensive line is blocked it. And uh, it, you're right, it is very simple. It's simple rules, but it, it's very effective. And there there are some things that they run off of that. They do run like a fly sweep off of, uh, with uh, with slot backs in motion and running backs uh, blocking pretty well. But it's effective. And right now it's uh, it's something. Boy, when you when you get 265 yards of rushing in two games, that's that's pretty impressive. 
and uh, you know the total offense that this team has put up over the uh, first two games over over a thousand yards. Um, how do you argue with that? Uh, the, the, the reason why they're doing that is because their defense is so stingy. I think Riley had 40 yards, of, and, and BC had 40 yards of offense after their uh, field goal in the second in the second half. They just absolutely shut them down, and so your your offense is getting the ball and getting lots of time, and your defense is always fresh and uh, a lot of two and outs. So right now, it uh, the first two games, it's uh, it's been a very nice formula. The only the only thing that is, that's kept the opponents in games is the amount of penalties the Eskimos have taken. I believe it's been 20 penalties in the first, or 30 penalties in the first two games. I, I got some stats for you on the penalties, and I want to get to that point, but I want to finish talking about uh, about the run game. Because, look, football has become such a passing-oriented game. The, the CFL always has been more slanted there because of the two downs, the number of receivers on the field, the width of the field. The NFL's really i mean troy aikman barely threw for 3000 yards in a season like that'd be terrible now right and, and in his era he was one of the best in the game so yeah. it's become more that way but but running the ball is is still valued so i mean you played and now, and now you you see it from an analyst standpoint what what in your mind is the number one impact a good running game like actually has on the field if, if you're a defense that's given up chunks of yards along the ground well the biggest thing it's demoralizing for a defense you know it's it really it takes the wind out of a defense when when a team is able to run and and a lot of times in the cfl the only time you'll see teams running uh consistently is near the end of a game to run the clock manage the clock that kind of stuff but but when the eskimos are doing that early it's it's the equivalent of you know the punches by a fighter in boxing to the to the forearms or to the biceps early in a, in a fight, because it may not be that effective early in a fight, but by the time it hits the the tenth round, the the opponent can't lift his arms anymore, and that's what a, a good solid running game does early in a game, and uh, it 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 it's tough it's it's harder for the defense to be able to play that against that it's it's physically taxing, and. But it's, a, it's an emotional boost when you get a big run on the offensive side. Okay, so establishing things in a game that, that might help set things up in the second half or you be successful late in the game. The Eskimos took uh, five roughing the passer penalties on Mike Riley. Uh, only one of them was in the fourth quarter. The other uh, two in the first quarter, one in the second, one in the third. They hit him a lot. Blake, I don't know if players would ever admit this, but would a defense ever take the attitude saying, we got to hit this guy? If it's a little late, we'll deal with the 15-yard penalty when it happens because they might be worn down by the fourth quarter. Well, you know, I, I, and I'm not going to say that that's what the Eskimos defense has done because I, I don't necessarily see that. When I see the film when you, or when you watch the game and you see the replays, some of the the, the, the referees are are uh, at a point where they're trying to protect the quarterbacks. And, and what might not have been a pass, uh, a roughing uh, penalty even a year ago is now a roughing penalty. What, what certainly wasn't a roughing penalty two years ago is now a roughing penalty. So these guys um, are getting there late. And this is what I, we, we talked about on the broadcast. That, you know, the trouble is, is that the reason why the Eskimos defense is so light on effective in the first two games, and then it could be the opponent that they're playing against and, and all of those things, but the reason why they've been so effective is because of their aggressiveness. Now, if you, if you, as a, that's a fine line with a coach to say, 
we want you, you guys got to stop, you got to stop, you got to stop. And if you do that, then that takes away some of the aggressiveness and potentially will allow the opponent an opportunity to be able to move the ball that they weren't doing before. Um, you hope that what happens is that players start to identify how close or when that fine line is they can't cross. Because, because as I said, I, I think some of the calls were, I'm not arguing about any call that they've had. There's been calls up around the shoulder pads. There's been calls around the, around the face mask and helmet and all those kinds of things. Guys can't do that. But it has affected the quarterback's play in the last two games. Well, yeah, you know, I, I just saw bits and pieces of the game Friday in Vancouver, but I watched the, the whole thing yesterday, and not all major penalties are created equally. I mean, Boateng, the one, obviously hit him late. There was the headshot on Riley that had to be called. I, the, I think it was the very first one of the game, the the hand went inside the helmet, and I, I know the player, the I can't remember which Eskimo it was, he's trying to make a tackle. Riley's head moves there at the same time. It has I think it was Moore who did that. Yeah, uh, I don't know if there was any malicious in, intent on that play. But here's the, here's the stats on the penalties, Blake. And this was a story last year, so I think we still got to wonder about the, the discipline a little bit. But I, I separated out the defensive penalties. The Eskimos' defense took eight penalties for 95 yards. BC only had 202 yards of offense. So basically, BC moved the ball 300 yards. A third of that was because of Eskimos' penalties. Yeah. Like, so they're, they're, the teams, are, they're not driving the ball on the Eskimos. So, I mean, you look at now Winnipeg coming up. They're going to have, I mean, they got a great back. They're, they're going to drive the ball. So, again, it's going to come down to just cutting out the flags, cutting down the flags. You know, and that's, that's something that, uh, that they've said uh, the Eskimos have, have looked at and has uh, identified as, a, as an issue for the last three years, uh, maybe even long, four years, as long as Jason Moss has been here. And, uh, and every year we seem to go through this. And uh, the, the, the thing is, is that, you know, they, are, they, ha- they have been dominant on defense. They've been t- the only, you're right. I think the first drive that the Eskimos had, or the uh, BC Lions had, was it was extended by two uh, second and, you know, essentially second and ten plays that were going to be a, a, a punt situation. They were turned into first downs, and that's how BC got their first touchdown. Uh, they they eliminate or stop either one of those uh, those penalties, and you know the the game the game doesn't get to the point where it was at, where it was 17 to three at that, at one point. And people are starting to worry. Um, but the other thing about this team too is that I, I really believe, and this is the dangerous thing, because you get into a habit of believing that regardless of what we're doing on the field, we're going to be able to come back. We're going to be able to. Uh, this isn't going to be an issue us taking penalties. Well, sooner or later, that changes, and, and you, you don't come back. So they, they have to be able to discipline themselves, and that isn't about fining each other and all those kinds of things. And I, and I know I've been at practices whenever a penalty happens, an offside or one of those things, everybody on the field jumps down and does push-ups. It's, it's the internal clock or that, that, that measuring thing that they have that becomes like a reflex that they have to know that I'm close to the quarterback's head. I'm, you know, I, I can't reach out and I can't grab. So I got Those are the things that they've got to get to. It's early in the year. They've been lucky that the, I think they've been lucky with their schedule. I think that they've they picked two teams that aren't at the level that some of the other teams are at this point. And uh, coming against Winnipeg here this uh, this Thursday is going to be a, an increased level of challenge for them. So, so I think that uh, this is going to be a test whether or not they can they can eliminate some of the penalties. I think if Edmonton goes into this game and has single digit penalties. They're going to be in a, an, an excellent chance of winning this game. They're going to have an excellent chance. You know, I, uh, Blake, I, I, I've uh, 
I've 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 enjoyed getting to know you over the years hosting and the and, and the talks we have and, and I and I always love that sometimes you're like Reed, when, like I can tell in your voice when I say something because you're always polite about it. <laughs> but but I remember last year when I said well and we were on air I said well you know sometimes you're going to go offside and you're kind of like well why. Like, don't move till the ball moves. How hard is that? And I was like, okay, fair enough. I was thinking, well, if you're trying to get a sack, maybe sometimes you might go up. But you were just like, and I, but I love how you put it there. Be aware of where the quarterback's head is and don't put a hand there. So you don't grab a face mask and don't don't drive at it. So they, they, you're right. They, they can build up the awareness on, on some of those 15-yard. I mean, the, the defense has taken uh, nine 15-yard penalties in three weeks, uh, six roughing the passer, two rough play penalties, and one face mask. So yeah. you can cut that out, right? Oh, I, I think you can. And, and as I said, I think some of those roughing the passing penalties are, are uh, you know, here's the thing, too, that, and this is what has created those opportunities for the Eskimos, is I like Coach Lolly's defense. Coach Lolly's defense is pressure, pressure, pressure. And eventually somebody's going to be able to figure that out, and that's going to happen. I get that. But he's pressuring you, and until you can stop me, I'm going to keep sending you pressure. And what happens is when you send pressure like that, there is always going to be somebody around the quarterback. So when you think about how many times Riley was sacked seven times in the game, mm-hmm. and they had all of those roughing penalties on top of it, and, and then there were some times that they, they, weren't, they weren't roughing, he was hit or put on the ground probably close to 25 times in the game. And that's because of the pressure that the Eskimos send. Now, if you're sitting back in his zone coverage and you're just rushing four guys, then the quarterback doesn't get hit very often. But that's not what they want to have happen. They want the quarterback to feel pressure. They don't want they want the quarterback to see hands in his face, to feel somebody bump him in the in, you know in the shoulder. Those kinds of things. They want that, and that's what makes this defense effective. So it's that risk and reward. You know, you 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 risk t- potentially taking a penalty, but you risk your your the reward is a big play by your defense and right now the Eskimos are winning the risk reward battle well like I said I'll, I'll take 2-0 and oh, even if may, maybe these opponents uh, aren't that good Winnipeg will be a, a good test but I, I mean you saw a lot of those preseason pre- predictions had the Eskimos fifth and I said look I, I I don't think they're at the beginning of the season I'm not picking them to win the great cup but I I don't think they're the the worst team in the league or one of the two or three worst teams in the league I think the defense improved and the offense probably you know, well, right now the offense looks better than last year. Well, Reed, and I said this early in the year, too, uh, that, that whoever made those kinds of predictions are not educated about the league. When you take a look at the teams, that the, that the team that, that made the biggest jump in, in, uh, in personnel, the biggest uh, increase in their talent level was the Edmonton Eskimos. That was the team that, did, that won free agency. The team that did the least amount of movement is the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And, and so it doesn't surprise me that Winnipeg comes out of the gate, looks pretty good, because they got an awful lot of players that have played together. Edmonton had lost, I don't forget what it was, but it's, it's some asinine number of players. Like, there's only like eight or nine starters still left from last year's team. Yep. And, and, you know, they so to, to have them sort of gel together like that, and people around the league, and these weren't just... Joe Blow players, there was an awful lot of all-stars that were involved in this thing. So teams like BC, I, I thought, made a significant amount of changes. I thought there was going to be some, some time for them to gel. Calgary made a ton of changes, losing their, their defensive uh, coordinator. And, and uh, uh, you know, there's an awful lot of players, middle linebackers, defensive linemen. They were a team that I could see drop as low as three. And, and I think the team that, that's going to start out really well, and it wouldn't surprise me if they stumble, is Winnipeg. And Winnipeg's going to start out really well because 
because they got this this set group of guys, but the reality is they didn't improve their team. Blake, always great to have you on the show. We'll, uh, I guess we'll probably do this Friday, the uh, next show after the next Eskimos game, man. Looking forward to it. Okay, all right. See you later, Reed. That is Blake Durbin, our Eskimos analyst, checking in on 630. Ched Luke says the Eskimos will finish second in the West, and if they clean up the penalties, they have a chance at first. Brian says uh, tremendous pressure by the Eskimos' defense looked like the teams that Chris Jones coached. It was fun. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline to watch we will get to jared on the open line when we get back inside sports on 6 30 chat all right i want to get in a couple calls here we have jared on line one jared good to hear from you go ahead hi Reed. I just got a couple of comments about Philip Broberg, and, and my knowledge of him is based to uh, a watching as much film there was of him on YouTube. I've never seen him play live, but I generally watch maybe the top 10 picks, and I do think the Oilers got, personally, I think they got the best defenseman in that draft, and there's one particular characteristic he has, and that's the fact that he has, like, breakaway speed, like where he can actually pull away from other players and he can do it with the puck and there's only one other defenseman that have I, I've ever remembered to have that type of skating ability and that was Paul Coffey so I do think that now with um, with Ken Holland in charge we may see uh, maybe a little more of a European flair than we have in the past and I think that sometimes the Edmonton fans get stuck on that it has to be a Western Hockey League boy or it has to be uh, a uh, uh, an Edmonton boy, that, but there's great players everywhere. Like in, in German, Germany, they got Leon Dreisaitl. The Americans produce tons of players. So I do think you got to pick the, the best player available. But the one player that I think that I wish they would have traded up for was Caulfield from the American um, development team. Because he, I watched film on him, and he has a few techniques there for scoring. That you know, he may be a 40-goal guy, and I think that Montreal drafted him, I believe. Yep, and, uh, and I, 15th, I believe. Yeah, and that was one guy that I, I thought that, you know, down the road or possibly even a goaltender from the American team that the Oilers could have taken a chance on by trading maybe next year's pick or, or uh, something, packaging it up with Pugliarby to get one of those guys. Because when you're talking like possibly a generational goal scorer or generational goalie, it's worth taking a chance. And the only... Um, other uh, remark I have is the one caller said about, you know, after the third round, not a lot of the players um, develop into uh, good players. But if you look at the teams that Ken Holland had in Detroit, some of those guys were drafted in the 180s and in the 200s. And if you think if you could get a pick from the third to eighth round, and let's say only one of those players every year developed into a good or third or fourth liner, you'd have a good third and fourth line within like five years. Jared, you think you think Broberg's better than Byram? I think uh, Bowen Byram, he does not have he's shiftier, 
but it reminds me, some of his moves remind me of Rasmus Dahlin. They will work like in the Western Hockey League, but I don't think they're going to work in the NHL, especially Rasmus Dahlin is very shifty at the point, trying to beat like oncoming checkers to him. And mm-hmm. Bowen Byram may be a shiftier player than Philip Broberg, but I think, like, I was very impressed with Philip Broberg, what I saw of him. And he's a little bit bigger, like he's six foot three. I'm not sure how big Bowen Byram is, but again, I still think a lot of it has to do with he's in Canada, and that's where all this scouting is situated. Byram, uh, I got my notes here from the draft: six feet, about one ninety three. Yeah. So there you go. And he, he's a tremendous defenseman, but again, like, why did Steve Eiserman pick the guy he did? They obviously saw something in him. But I would say that Phil Broberg is the, he could possibly be the best skater in that draft. But I definitely think he is the best defenseman in that draft. And I'm not taking nothing away from Bowen Byram because he's a tremendous defenseman. But there is that aspect of that, that breakaway speed. And people also forget he was a forward, right? All right. I got to run, Jared. Yeah. Okay, Reed. Okay. Just a uh, final minute of the hour here. We'll get Jim in here. Go ahead, Jim. Jim, are you there? Jim, are you there? I heard R2-D2. I did not hear. Oh, we do have R2 on the line. He's uh, he's telling us he enjoys the show. <laughs> uh, tell you what, 780-496-0063. I mentioned the Edmonton Prospects afternoon game today. Lost 3-2 to Lethbridge. We still have tickets for their Canada Day game. One week from today, a big uh, fireworks show taken on Moose Jaw, 7 o'clock next Monday. Uh, first caller through, 780-496-0063. The champ, Jelena Mergenovich, when we get back. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.